Hello, and welcome to Firewell Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewell. Firewell family, August 27th, stick around after church as we celebrate baptisms outside and stay for hamburgers and hot dogs as we kick off our fall activities. Bring a side or dessert to share. Sign up in the lobby. If you're interested in being baptized, please fill out the form on the event page of the website and a pastor will contact you. King's Closet is a clothing ministry benefiting the homeless of Dallas. This is a great serving opportunity we have here at Firewheel. Come sort clothes for those in need this coming Saturday at the new time from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. There are also alpacas. Want to grow in your relationship with God alongside your fellow Firewheelers? Check out our Sunday morning Bible studies at 9.30 a.m. There are three different studies to choose from. Give each a try. The porch is studying the book of Mark, the great room is studying Hebrews, and the study is beginning a new study on the Apostle John and his letters. For more info on these or any of the events going on around Firewheel, check us out at firewheelfellowship.com events, or you can find us on social media. Get them in here. Hey, we're having service in here. You guys feeling okay this morning? Yeah, you guys happy and ready to worship the Lord? All right, good. I believe in the blood of Jesus. Washes white as snow. I believe that the power of the gospel still makes it broken. I believe that the curse of sin was broken when they rolled away that stone. I believe, I believe, I believe. Come on, church. As I bow before you, Lord.
favor close your eyes let's just remember why we're here we're here for you Jesus that's why we come here on Sunday mornings we're here to drop our sins at the cross we're here to man to worship you and so God man just uh, give us the strength this morning to want to worship you um, God I ask that you uh, just help us to leave our burdens at the door man you are a good God we are so appreciative of what you've done for us on the cross. Help us to remember that this morning. So, uh, God, we love you. And all God's people said, amen. Do me a favor. Go find three or four people and just tell them how much you love them this morning.
All right. If you guys can find your seats. All right, so this next song is called Blessed Assurance. Who knows this song? All right. So you know this song, so you get to sing this song this morning. You guys excited about that? Oh, my goodness. Are you excited about that? You get to worship the Lord this morning. Yeah. All right. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of
Good morning. We come to part of our service where we remember. We remember what was done for us. We remember what a friend we have found. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Doug Starkey. Um, and I have the privilege this morning of introducing this time in the worship that we call communion. Uh, this is not something we do lightly or simply out of ritual or routine. This is a part of worship. Communion is a special time in our worship, a time to pause, to reflect, and to remember. In his letter to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is a moment in our worship to remember. To remember that night some 2,000 years ago where the Lord Jesus took familiar pieces of another remembrance meal, the Passover, and he imbued them with new and powerful meaning. In the scriptures, leaven or yeast is used as a symbol for sin. And Jesus took a piece of unleavened bread and said, this is my body, the body of Christ, sinless. Our bodies full of sin and no amount of good works or religious rituals could ever make us right before a perfectly holy God. So Jesus said his sinless body was given for us to take our place. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And all the way back in the book of Genesis, we see the blood of animals offered as a payment for one's sin. Blood had to be shed to pay for sin. So Jesus offered his blood, the blood of the perfect sinless lamb of God to pay our debt. So as we celebrate communion, we remember. In the wafers of unleavened bread, we remember the real sinless body of Jesus Christ. And in the cup of juice from the grape, we remember the pure blood of Jesus poured out to cleanse us from our sins. Let us pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the ground, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. Blessed are you who redeems your people. We thank you, Lord, for the body of Jesus who lived among us, who knows our weaknesses, who willingly gave himself as payment for our sins. We thank you that by his precious blood, we are washed clean from all our sins and by faith in him, we have eternal life and communion with you. We remember as we worship. Amen.
Come, let us worship the Lord.
Well, good morning, Firewall family. I hope that you are grateful to be in God's house, as I always am every Sunday, to be able to be with you. So if I have not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina, and I have the opportunity to serve as the transitional pastor here at Firewheel. We believe that God has you here today for a specific purpose and a specific plan. And those of you who are joining us online, we want to say welcome to you as well. And uh, we are glad that you are with us. I'm not going to lie, I am very excited and at the same time also, I don't want to say nervous, but I'm very excited and also very, um, I am very thoughtful, prayerful, and studious in the, the new series that we're going to begin. So today we're beginning a series on the Holy Spirit. So the goal of this series, which I'm really excited about, we are going to unpack and we are going to build a, a systematic, a biblical theology, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit. And we are going to do this over the course of at least nine weeks, potentially even more. But what we're doing is the goal of this series is to explore the person, the deity, and the ministry or work of the Holy Spirit, who is often the neglected member of the Trinity, the forgotten God, as he is called at times. And so we are going to kind of do this deep dive, and I hope that at the, when we come up at the end of it, that you guys have a greater appreciation and depth and understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some, when you hear the word Holy Spirit, or you hear that idea, for many people, and in, even in many Christian circles, the Holy Spirit has become akin to like the force in Star Wars. So, like, he's this weird thing that's kind of like nebulous and out there, and potentially those who are the super Christians can tap into his power and be able to use him like a Jedi Knight would use the Force, you know? And so we say these things, but there's a lot of theology, at least what's being preached in Star Wars. And I'm a Star Wars fan, so I'm unabashedly to say that. But many people believe and think about, even in Christian circles, the Holy Spirit being something akin to a Force, impersonal, something that we tap into potentially and that we have access to and that's this weird mythical kind of thing. For other individuals, the Holy Spirit's kind of like this. He's kind of like Casper the Friendly Ghost. <laughs> he's kind of like this guy that we want to hang around and we think that he's kind of cool and, and we know that he is uh, some type of being or whatever, but we don't really know what to do or kind of relate to him. And so we think he's important to to have around, and we hear in church that his name's at least mentioned, and so we think he's supposed to be around, but we really don't know what to make of him. So we kind of just think about him as like somebody who's there that we can't always see, but he comes around sometimes, at least when baptism comes around. When baptism comes around, then all of a sudden, baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Oh, there he is, you know, and all of a sudden he just appears. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but in reality, this is the truth. This is the truth of what people actually believe about the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe me, two years ago, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research, every two years they do a study called the State of Theology. It's a really interesting study, and they ask a number of theological questions to take the theological temperature of the United States to help Christians better understand, as they say for this survey, understand today's culture and to equip the church with better insights for discipleship. So the survey, again, is called the State of Theology. I encourage you to Google it, and you can see the most recent one was, was, took place in 2022. 
And Americans are given a series of 35 theological statements that they are to respond to. And when they get this statement, they're supposed to respond in either one of five ways. Strongly disagree, somewhat agree, not sure, somewhat agree, or strongly agree of these 35 theological propositional statements. Now this survey was conducted with over 3,000 different adults and I want to highlight one specific question. There's about three questions related to the Holy Spirit, but there's one in particular I want to highlight. Statement number nine of the survey read as follows. The Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. That's the statement. The Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. Like I said, Star Wars or Casper the Friendly Ghost. 19% of people strongly disagreed with the statement. Good for those people. 7% of people somewhat agree with the statement. 15% were not sure. 26% somewhat agree. And the overwhelming large percentage of those people, 33% strongly agreed that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal being. That is very bad theology, by the way. And if you grew up in church, I hope that in church they taught you a little bit more than that, but we are definitely going to get into it. Because the Holy Spirit is much more than a force. He's a person. He's God. Okay? He's a person, and he is God. So depending upon your church experience, you may come from a background like me, where the Holy Spirit was always mentioned, but it was, he was mentioned in an experiential kind of way. So, but he wasn't mentioned outside of that context. And as a matter of fact, in that tradition, in many ways, sometimes things were attributed to him that should have never been attributed to him. So I want to ask you all a question. You know that I like to be interactive if you've been here before. So how many of you say that you grew up in a tradition, maybe that was more spirit-filled, where you talked about the Holy Spirit often? How many of y'all grew up in a tradition like that? It's okay. Raise your hand. Amen. That's me. Now, how many of you would raise your hand and say that you grew up in a tradition where you basically never spoke about the Holy Spirit unless it was baptism or unless it was some ancillary thing, but you really never or ever rarely spoke about the Holy Spirit? Y'all raise your hand. Wow, a lot more hands went up to that, that regard, okay? So the sad reality is, is that a lot of times what we do is we like to label groups of people and without really understanding them and being able to willing to learn from them, and usually the answer is somewhere in the middle, okay? Because a lot of times we tend to polarize and identify people in groups and say, well, those people are really wrong, or those people are crazy. Those people as, you know, those people don't understand anything about the Spirit, and they're so emotionless and all that, and we label people, causing confusion and division. We need to have a proper theology of the Holy Spirit that is grounded in truth, but we also believe that the Holy Spirit has a tangible effect on our lives. I hope you see that, that that's important, both of those things. That we understand how he is revealed, especially in Scripture, but then we also understand that the Holy Spirit has a tangible effect on the lives of people. You and I need to know the Holy Spirit. So my goal today in setting the framework for this whole entire series is we are going to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? We have to answer the question of who before we can answer the question of what. So we're going to look at who he is in order to understand him in his nature and being. And then the rest of this series is really going to focus on what he does. What we call the ministry of the spirit. So today we're going to focus on the deity of the spirit. 
and also his personhood, so the personhood of, of the Spirit and the deity of the Spirit. And once we get into that, we could talk about all the different things he does. Like he's the convictor of sin. He's the one who indwells the believer. He's the one who gives us fruit. He's the one who's the gift giver. All of these different things, the ministries that he actually does. But we have to understand who before we can look at what. Here's my one truth statement for you today. If we do not know who the Holy Spirit is, then we do not know God. Let me say that again, and that's a very strong statement. But if we do not know who the Holy Spirit is, then we do not know God. Here's the reason. He is God. If your theology doesn't encompass the person of the Holy Spirit as well, then you at best have two-thirds of the Trinity represented in your theology. And you're missing the person of the Spirit. You're missing the deity of the Spirit. So we need to know who the Holy Spirit is. And I hope that today, when you walk out of this place today, you can definitely say he's something more than the Force in Star Wars or Casper the Friendly Ghost. Okay? We're going to find ourselves in various texts this morning, but we're going to camp out primarily in John. So we're going to be in John chapter 14. We're also going to look at chapter 16. So if you want to turn to John 14, we're going to start there. We're also going to look at Acts chapter 5. So if you want to keep a finger there as well, that's where we'll also be. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer to that question is twofold. Number one, he is a person. And number two, he is God. Let me say that again. Number one, he is a person. So we're going to talk about what does it mean to be person. And then he is God. Those are the two answers, and those are the things we're going to explore this morning. So let's begin by talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at John chapter 14, starting at verse 16. John 14, starting at verse 16, and the scripture reads as follows. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Look at verse 17. Even the Spirit of Truth. Notice capital S. Usually when you see that indicated in your Bible, that means the editors have identified, and that's usually speaking of the, that's speaking of the Holy Spirit, so they capitalize it. So even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I want you to notice a few things about these verses to start off with before we even get into unpacking a little bit of the, the, the theology of it. Notice the pronouns that are used. Him, he. It's not saying it. That's important. It's not saying it. Jesus is the one talking. And as Jesus is talking and identifying this other helper who he identifies as the spirit of truth, he talks about him in personal terms. He doesn't talk about him in impersonal terms. He doesn't say it. He says him. He says he. He's using personal pronouns. This is really, really important because even Jesus is identifying him something about the nature of who he is. So in the context of this passage in John chapter 14, we find ourselves in the upper room. This is where Jesus just celebrated the Last Supper, where we just celebrated communion. So he had just celebrated communion with his disciples over the Last Supper, and he's giving them some final instructions in the book of John right before he is arrested. This takes place like minutes before he's arrested. All within a 24-hour time period. And in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, we get some of the most critical and important teaching on the Holy Spirit from the whole entire scripture and the words come directly from Jesus himself. 
So what did Jesus mean? Here he is, just had the Last Supper with his disciples. He's given them some final instruction. What does Jesus mean when he says that there will be another helper? A comforter, he calls him in John as well. What does it mean by saying another helper? The one, the word another indicates one who is like myself. One who is like me. Jesus is saying, there's going to be somebody else who is just like me. And when Jesus is using that word, I know that we can't get this emphasis necessarily in the English. He's talking about one like me completely. So in totality, just like I am, he is in that way. Another helper, another one just like me, who will take my place and will do his, do his work. Helper indicates that he is a person who is called to one side. In the case of this, the disciples, he is called to their aid, to their side, to be one, to help them for what they need. Because before, while Jesus was on earth, they didn't have need of that because they were walking with Jesus. So as Jesus is about to depart, I can understand as he's telling the disciples and prepping them for the fact that he's going to the cross, he's telling them, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to give you somebody else who is just like me, and that person is going to be with you, and he is going to come alongside of you. He is going to help you. Jesus served that role for his disciples. But now, the work, is, the work of Jesus is going to continue to be done. How he was leading them, advising them, teaching them, empowering them, critiquing them. But his time with them would soon come to a close. And his followers needed a new companion who could function in all of those ways. And that's exactly what the Spirit does. There's no denying that Jesus was a person, right? I hope that if you are here today at this church, if you believe that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired Word of God, that you believe that there was a person physically in flesh named Jesus of Nazareth who walked this earth. And if you believe that Jesus of Nazareth, who is God-man, two natures in one, that he is the God-man, that that Jesus walked this earth, there's no denying the reality of his humanity, then it would stand to reason, as Jesus says, that there will be someone who comes that is just like me, that he's speaking of in the same nature as me to do everything and fulfill everything in which I was doing before with you, my disciples, now I'm giving you someone else. The problem is, is when we think about person, we often think about flesh and bone. If I tell you what a person is, you're, li you're likely thinking about somebody who is living and breathing flesh and bone. But the scripture tells us that God is spirit, right? We're putting on our thinking caps today. We're, we're, we're building out this idea. But even though... Scripture tells us that God is spirit. We know that Jesus came in flesh. So in the incarnation, God becomes flesh. But is personhood, are you a person just because you have flesh and bone? Other animals have flesh and bones too. Are they people? No. Just having flesh and bone being a living creature does not make you a human. So the question then becomes, how do we know that, here's an interesting question you may have never thought of. We're diving into some theological anthropology. How does theology relate to the understanding of man? 
How do you know you're a person? How do you know that you are, how do you know another individual is a person? In some ways, it sounds like a foolish question. It sounds like something that we take for granted. But there are certain things that make us people in comparison to other living creatures and other living things. We live on an earth that has other living things, right? We have organic plants and other types of matter. We also have other living creatures like animals. But what makes us distinct from them that makes us something unique that God called person? Well, personality or personhood is usually divided into three realms. Most people usually see it in these three realms. And this is really important because this will relate to why the Holy Spirit is person. The first realm is the realm of intellect. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, pastor, you haven't met some people I know. They ain't too smart sometimes. But I'm not talking about that. When we're talking about intellect, we're talking about the capacity to be, to be able to know, to think, and to understand. People have the ability to think, to know, to understand. We, I gave you a few scriptures, and we're not going to be able to read all the scripture, but if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, the Holy Spirit has a clear knowledge of the true things of God. He has the ability to know, and specifically to know the things of God, okay? But then the Holy Spirit not only just knows things, he's able to understand the Holy Spirit brings understanding, truth to a believer. That's why he's called the spirit of truth. He has intellect. He has the ability to know. He has the ability to think. He has the ability to act upon those thoughts. So when we talk about people usually, when we're talking about personhood, to be a person, we think about those things that you have the ability in your mind to think and to act and to do, to respond, have the ability to have knowledge, to process information, to do those kinds of things. John chapter 14, verse 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus talking again, said, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit has the ability to think and to teach. And so he does so. And he brings to remembrance everything that Jesus spoke to his followers. But secondly, when we think about people, we often think about that people have emotions. Every person has the ability to express emotions, and we see that through the Bible, God expresses emotion. Every person has the ability to love. Every person has the ability to experience anger. Every person has the ability to experience things like frustration. Insert whatever emotion you want to insert. You as a person have the capability to feel those type of things and to express them. And we see throughout the Bible that God expresses, or at least we personify the expression of God's emotion. God gets angry at times. And we see the Holy Spirit expressing emotion. One of the, one of the sermons we're going to do in this, this series is just going to focus on the reality of how we can grieve the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit can grieve, that means that the Holy Spirit has the ability to express emotion. He has the ability to feel. But then lastly, when we talk about people, we usually talk about will. That every person has the ability to decide and to act. The Holy Spirit does things with intention. The Holy Spirit has the ability not only to think, but to be able to act. 
I just gave you one scripture reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the passage where we talk about spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit is the one who decides what gift every individual believer receives. It's, his, it's an act of his will. He decides and we don't get to say, hey, I want to return that like a gift off my Amazon wish list. I didn't really like that gift, so I want to return it. No, he's the one who decides. It's his will and he executes it and he gives spiritual gifts as he pleases. Being a person means that you can know him and you can relate to him because he's a person. There are other things when we think about people. We think about the ability to trust. We think about the ability to love. We think about all these other different aspects. But let me go ahead and make, there's a sidebar here that's really, really important. And I'm going to make this point. I just talked about classically in theology, we usually talk about these three realms related to the person of the spirit. But you may be asking yourself, well, pastor, you're talking about people and how we know people are people. Well, then what does that mean for people who do not have the ability to express intellect? Those maybe who are disabled, who have some functional disability that prevents them from experiencing some of these things. Here's where there's a distinction between the person of the spirit and what it means to be a person in the flesh. Because every human individual living and breathing on the planet is created in the image of God. Let me say that again. Every living human being, breathing, it doesn't matter if they're verbal, nonverbal. It doesn't matter if they can't go to the bathroom themselves, or they can. All that matters is the reality is they were created and endowed by their creator, and they are created in the image and likeness of God. So every individual person on this planet receives that imprint, that life, Something of the reflection of God is reflected in them as God created them in Genesis when it says that let us make man in our likeness, in our image. The Holy Spirit isn't created in God's image because he is, the, he is God. But he's one part of the Trinity who did the creating and creating individuals that says something unique about humanity is that they are imprinted with the image of God. It's really important. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a person. We're not talking about an impersonal force. We're not talking about something that is out there and that is like this weird mystical kind of thing. We are talking about a person who can be known, who can be loved, who can be grieved, who experiences and feels. We are talking about a person who's able to execute, to think, and to have his will executed. This is really important. Because the fact that he is a person means that we can know him. Just like we know Jesus. This other helper who is like him, we can know him as well. We can know the spirit. Amen? The second thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about the Holy Spirit as God. This is foundational. These two concepts are so foundational and critical to all of theology. Because if you do not believe in the personhood and divinity of the Spirit, then you do not truly know God. And I will say it as strongly as I can because this is real. You're not saved. This is orthodox, basic, fundamental, critical theological truth that we're teaching you today. We believe in a God who is one God, three persons. One God three persons. 
one divine essence, three distinct persons. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. We say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus even before he ascends into heaven, post-resurrection, when he's encouraging the disciples and we talk about the Great Commission. What does he say? He says that we baptize believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because we, we do the work to baptize those because God does his work through all persons of the Trinity. They all work together. There's one divine will, and that divine will executes. When speaking of the Trinity, there's three things we must affirm if you want to call yourself a Christian. Here's three things you must affirm. I should have put a slide up for this, but you need to write this down. There's three things you must affirm. Number one is that there is only one God. We are not a people who believe in three gods. We're not a people who believe that there is one God that manifests himself into three other realities. We believe that there is one God. We are mono, one, theist, okay? We believe there's one God. You have to affirm that reality. The second reality is a, the next two outflow from that one reality. Number one, we believe there's one God. Number two, we believe that God is three persons. So one divine essence, three in person. As hard as that is to wrap our minds around, this is what the church has always affirmed historically. This is actually what happened through the first few hundred years of church history where they were trying to decide and trying to reconcile as heresy arose, who is this Jesus? And as they worked out who Jesus was, then they also talked about the Spirit because it related to those three things. So they have always, we have now affirmed and said that to be a Christian is to say there's one God, one essence, one God stuff that consists of three distinct persons. And it's not like identical twins, it's different. One God, three persons, and then the third thing we must affirm is that each person individually is 100% God. We believe in one God. We believe that there is three persons and that each person is fully God. I hope that you attest to that reality. It's one of the most critical concepts in the whole entire Bible, and sometimes it's not easy to understand. But just like there are certain things that make you a person, there are certain things that make God God. Look at your neighbor and tell them you're not God. Y'all can participate. Tell them you're not God. That should be a good reality to say. Okay? You are not God. I am not God. There are certain things that make God God, and you don't have it. Okay? So what are some of these things that make God, God, specifically, as opposed to us? There are certain characteristics that God has that being created in his image and his likeness, we do share some of those characteristics. We don't share them perfectly like he does or are able to execute them perfectly. We do share some of those. However, there are many of those that we do not share. There are some things that make God, God, that you will never, ever, ever, did I say ever, ever, ever have. And I will never have them. So let's talk a little bit about some attributes of God. Number one, these are just four easy ones when we talk about what are things that make God, God. Because the Holy Spirit has these things. Number one is that he is omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. 
The Holy Spirit has access to all knowledge. There is nothing that is clouded or hidden from him. He knows everything from the beginning all the way to the end. He knows all things. There's nothing that is hidden from him because he has the capacity to know all things. He is all-knowing. Number two is he's omnipresent, meaning that he's everywhere. When we talk about the we talk about his omnipotence, meaning that he is all-powerful. The Holy Spirit has the ability to execute in power. This is, more, this is so clearly indicated all the way back in the book of Genesis when the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. But then here's the big one, is eternality. Here's what that means. That's a fun word that makes you sound smart to your friends. All that means is that the Holy Spirit never had, he's always existed. There was a question early on in church history of whether or not Jesus was the first created being. And then, then it came to the reality that basically said there never was a time where Jesus was not. When we think about God, God did not have a beginning. God always has been. You have a beginning. I don't have to teach you basic health uh, health class stuff that you should know. You all had a beginning. God doesn't have a beginning. So the Holy Spirit has always existed. We look at other divine attributes that we don't have. Perfect holiness, grace, glory, all of these different things. He has the God stuff that you and I do not have. The scripture even calls him God. In Acts chapter 5, very famous story, Acts chapter 5, looking at verses 3 and 4, the early church was going, and if you look back in chapter 2, when it starts talking about all the different things that they were doing, it talks about how the early church held all these things in common. There were people selling their stuff. They were basically giving to everybody. And so you have this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who had supposedly made an offering and was selling their land to be able to give to the church, but they lied about exactly what they received and what they were giving. And so Peter confronts and this is what Peter says in Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 3. But Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Right? And then he says, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the land. Look at the very next verse. We should be good Bible readers. Just because it's another verse doesn't mean we're disconnected from the story. It continues on. So look at what he says. While it remained unsold, did, you not, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why it is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Have you not lied to man but to God? Who's he talking about? He just talked about him. He identified him in verse 3. He said, the Holy Spirit. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Then he talks about them lying again. Then he says, you've lied to God. He's talking about the same thing. So Peter identifies him clearly, indicates that the Holy Spirit is God. He says, you've lied to him. So not only does the Holy Spirit possess all of these things that only God has and does things that only God can do, but I want you to look back at one of the verses we read earlier. Look back at John chapter 14, verse 17. And it says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, 
You know him, as Jesus says, for he dwells with you. And listen to this. Here's the kicker. And he will be in you. What does that mean? That the Holy Spirit will be in me, in you. We call this the indwelling of the Spirit. What does it mean to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Another way to say this is that the Holy Spirit takes residence within the believer and within the church. How does that work? I don't know. Honestly. It's one of those things that's clearly communicated in the scripture, and I affirm that reality. Does it mean that one day they open up your heart, all of a sudden a dove is going to fly out or something? No. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but when we profess our faith and trust in Jesus, we are given that other helper, and now he indwells us. He resides within us. But Jesus made even a more crazy statement. So not only does he say he's going to be in you, but then just a couple chapters later, listen to what he says in John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you that it is to your advantage, still talking to the disciples, that it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, if I'm a disciple and I'm listening to this, I'm like, no way, Jesus. Like, you're going to leave, and that's to my benefit? How can that possibly be to my benefit that you are going to leave? For if I do not go away, the Helper, capital H, this is the same conversation. He's still talking about the same thing. He's still talking about that other Helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Why is that? Because when Jesus came in the flesh, he confined himself to an earthly body, to an earth suit. So he can only be at one place at one time at that moment. When he sends the Holy Spirit, the impact to the world is compounded. Why? Because the Holy Spirit indwells every single believer. While Jesus was in flesh and body and he was at one place at one time in Jerusalem with his disciples, as he's saying this, in an upper room, and he's there in physical body. According to Philippians chapter 2, he put his divine attributes, so to speak, on the shelf. He's now in flesh, in body, can only be at one place at one time. He says, it's going to be beneficial to you that I go away because now this Holy Spirit, this helper is going to be in you. So the compounded interest, so to speak, or the compounded impact of the body of Christ, every single person here today, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you. You have the ability, and we have the ability as the church worldwide to be able to extend and to be empowered to do the mission of God that we couldn't, have, that the disciples couldn't do at that time. When Jesus sent them out, they went physically to one place in a small group. He empowered them. The Holy Spirit came upon them to empower them at that time. But when Jesus raises from the grave and he ascends into heaven, he sends the Spirit down that the Spirit would then be in them. So wherever they go, the Spirit is with them. So the Spirit is with the church wherever the church is. Look at the impact that we can have, that, that is compounded. That's why Jesus says it's to your benefit. Because instead of him just being with his disciples, in flesh, there at one, one place, at one time, now the work could be extended because the Spirit goes out and empowers and indwells all believers so that the message literally hits all areas of the globe. That's why he tells them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They couldn't be the witnesses to the ends of the earth until they received the power of the Spirit to indwell them to be able to do the work all across the world. That's why this is significant. 
The church has been doing the work of God for centuries because the Spirit of God within us enables us to do God's work and to continue Jesus' mission. Pause and think for a moment. God indwells you. What an what a amazing reality. What an amazing truth. Who cares about the particulars of how that works? Somehow, Scripture clearly affirms that God indwells you if you are a believer in Jesus. That's incredible. That is incredible. And we can only understand that if we know that the one who indwells us is a person, and above all, he is God. He's not some second-rate God. He's not an ancillary thought. He's not like the stepchild of the Trinity. No, he is God. 100%. One God, three persons. His name is the Holy Spirit. Let's summarize this for you. So our one true statement was this. If we do not know who the Holy Spirit is, then we don't know God. We have to start with the question of who. And we broke that down today basically in two, answering that in two parts. Number one, he's a person. And then number two, he is God. When we understand that, we can better understand all the things that he is able to do. We can understand his ministry, his service, what other things that he does. But we can't understand that until we understand he's God and we understand that he's a person. So how can we put this into practice? Firstly, I would say this. Number one is acknowledge him. If you are a believer, acknowledge that the Holy Spirit resides in you. Thank him for his presence in your life. Acknowledge that he resides in you. And then number two is I would encourage you during this series to just kind of chart through and, and continue to reread John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. Two of the most critical sections in all scripture as it relates to the person and work of the Spirit. As we just broke down some of it today, look at the dialogue that Jesus is having with his disciples as he's about to leave them and the significance that he puts upon this helper, this comforter, and all that he is going to do. Jesus did not leave his children as orphans. He sent us the Holy Spirit to reside within us, to be everything we need, and to continue on the ministry of Jesus, and to continue on to lead all believers into truth. Praise God for that reality. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us as orphans. As we read this story and we look at the lives of the disciples, you encourage them that you were going to send another helper, and you have, and the helper and the comforter has come. What a beautiful reality that you indwell us now, Holy Spirit. And all that that means. You are the spirit of truth. You're the one who leads us into truth. You're the one who helps develop fruit in our lives. You're the one who convicts the world of sin. You are the one who illuminates the scripture to us. You are the one who gives us spiritual gifts. There are so many things that you do. Thank you that your ministry is personal and that you're working in us to work through us. And Lord, I pray that we would never take that for granted. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are a person who can be related to, but that you are God. And forgive us if we have ever thought anything less of that reality. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray, and by the power of the Spirit, amen.
Well, let's go ahead and stand, and I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. We're going to have an opportunity to be able to worship and to be able to pray. So if there's anything we can pray for you, please allow us the opportunity to be able to do that. And let's take the opportunity to worship.
Let's give the Lord a round of praise in this house. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated for a moment. If it's your first time here at Firewell, we're really glad that you decided to worship with us. We know there are many places you can choose to worship, uh, but we're really glad that you are here. On the screen behind me, there's a QR code. If you would like to scan that and fill out some information, we'd love to be in touch with you to see how we can serve you and your family. Uh, no strings attached, uh, but also if you would take an opportunity to visit the Connection Center as you exit the auditorium, one of our guest services attendants would love to give you a special gift, answer any questions that you might have, and see uh, come alongside of you and just find out how your experience was here at Firewheel. So we're going to take an opportunity to worship the Lord through giving as well. We do that every single Sunday, so I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Uh, money is a great tool. It's a terrible master. And God gives us the ability and means to be able to make income, and we give to him a small portion back just to say, this thing doesn't own us, Lord, but we want to be able to do your work here on earth. And so we thank you for your gracious giving uh, to be able to have a facility like this, to have lights, to do all these things that we take for granted. It takes currency here on earth. I wish ministry was free in that way. But God is good. God is our provider, and so thank you all for your gracious giving. I'm going to pray over the offering. We'll show you a few announcements to get you dismissed. So, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to give. Lord, we know that's an act of worship and that we love a cheerful giver. We know that you don't need in that way from us, but, Lord, that you are the one who so graciously gives to us. But, Lord, I pray that you would allow this offering to be multiplied and allow us to steward it well to continue the work that you have called us to. And thank you that you so richly provide for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, and welcome to Firewheel Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewheel. Firewheel family, August 27th. Stick around after church as we celebrate baptisms outside and stay for hamburgers and hot dogs as we kick off our fall activities. Bring a side or dessert to share. Sign up in the lobby. If you're interested in being baptized, please fill out the form on the event page of the website and a pastor will contact you. King's Closet is a clothing ministry benefiting the homeless of Dallas. This is a great serving opportunity we have here at Firewheel. Come sort clothes for those in need this coming Saturday at the new time from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. There are also alpacas. Want to grow in your relationship with God alongside your fellow Firewheelers? Check out our Sunday morning Bible studies at 9.30 a.m. There are three different studies to choose from. Give each a try. The porch is studying the book of Mark. The great room is studying Hebrews. And the study is beginning a new study on the Apostle John and his letters. For more info on these or any of the events going on around Firewheel, check us out at firewheelfellowship.com events. Or you can find us on social media. Amen. All right, if y'all stand, we'll go in and pray our benediction and get you dismissed. And look forward to diving in next week as we start looking at the work in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll start diving into that next week. So may the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. 
May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you, Firewheel. Love you all so much. You are dismissed. We'll see you next week. Mm. Hey, Firewheel, you are.